Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Glad to have you here on this Memorial Weekend, <clears throat> and um, it's good to be up here. I uh, just appreciate our uh, worship team that leads us uh, in worship into the presence of the Lord, and I appreciate our staff here and our, our leadership team as, as well. Um, so this morning, uh, we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, uh, 16 through 26. And what I want to talk about is the nature of the believer. Um, this is a, a question that I think we have in the church uh, quite often, um, but I want to dive into it. There's two lists in the passage this morning. There's the deeds of the flesh, and there's the fruit of the Spirit. And so uh, those two lists represent two, uh, two styles of living, not two styles, but two ways of living. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. But before we get there, let's start out with some diagnostic questions. Um, first off, are you a saint? Would you consider yourself a saint? Or would you consider yourself a sinner? And just to be clear, Scripture doesn't give us another choice. He says we are either children of God, a saint, or we are children of Adam, children of wrath, uh, an unbeliever. So scripture says, are you a sinner or are you a saint? The problem with is if you say you're a, a saint, hmm, I'm not a saint all the time though. Sometimes I, I sin, I you have know, bad thoughts, uh, and so often we're not comfortable saying, yep, I'm a saint. On the other hand, if, if uh, you are more comfortable saying you're a sinner, um, you know, yes, we've been saved uh, from eternal damnation. We, we have heaven, but there's got to be more to being saved than just eternal life. There must be something now. And if we're still a sinner, you know, what transformation took place um, and, and what are we saved from and what are we saved for? Um, on the one hand, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. creature. I like creation, but the verse uh, in New American Standard is crea uh, creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. But then we're all familiar with uh, the passage of Jeremiah 17.9 that says, the heart is more deceitful uh, than all else, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we have these two opposing views. Um, should, should the believer consider themselves a saint, or should they consider themselves a sinner? How should we think about that? The problem with thinking you're a saint is, boy, that goes against a lot of the teaching we've heard. I mean, we've heard that Jeremiah passage often in church, uh, you've even heard that we are sinners saved by grace. And there's some truth to that. 
Um, and the problem with if we consider ourselves a sinner, then where does the good come from? And quite often people will say, well, I'm a sinner, but Jesus helps me do better. Jesus helps me do good things. Um, and, and so we, we have this, this struggle. A question is, did God really go through all that he went through, uh, sending his, his son uh, to be an example for us, to be the savior, uh, to sa save us from our sins? Did he transform us? Did he do all that in order just for us to come out uh, a sinner? So I know that a lot of us have this conflict in church because I ask questions and I get both answers. People say, no, I'm certainly a sinner. And other people say, no, I'm a saint. And other people are, well, I'm not willing to commit to either one. Uh, I know I'm not a sinner uh, all the time, but I know I'm not a saint all the time. And this, this, uh, this confusion uh, can have some, some impact in the Christian life. Uh, for example, uh, common is some people just feel guilty. Um, and I don't mean a healthy guilt that leads us to repentance. Um, and I don't mean a guilt where, you know, your, your, uh, your four-year-old boy slaps his two-year-old brother. He should feel guilty, right? There's good guilt. But a general sense of guilt, not having done anything wrong, but a general sense of guilt about, you know, I'm, I'm not a saint. I just, I don't live that way all the time. Another, uh, another common uh, example is sometimes people feel ashamed. Um, I try so hard to live the Christian life. Uh, I may be struggling with a habitual sin, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I still fail. And so then I start to think, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm, I'm not saved, or, or I'm broken. Maybe you feel... God is disappointed with you because you have sinned and because not only if you have not sinned, but boy, there's a thousand commands in the New Testament to follow, to do good things. And so maybe you think you haven't done enough good things for God to really be happy with you. And so you feel uh, that God is disappointed. That makes it really hard to come to God on a regular basis, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm going to bring my baggage to God and, and you know, God isn't happy with me, um, boy, that, that makes it hard to come into the presence of God and to really worship him. And I know a lot of us feel inadequate. We feel inadequate to share the gospel. Uh, we feel in that inadequate to witness to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Um, sometimes because we approach it with knowledge, it's like they might ask me a question I can't answer. Like, yeah. Uh, to start a conversation with our neighbor, you know, we have to live with that neighbor, and that conversation could take a life of its own. We can't control it. And so sometimes we don't feel adequate to go into that situation and, and handle it the way God, God would handle it. Um, and I know this for a fact that a lot of times uh, we think we should be living a perfect Christian life, and we look around us in the church and we see we don't see the problems other people have, and so we think everybody else has got it together. And, yet I, and so maybe I'm the only one that's really struggling here to understand the Christian life, uh, to overcome sin, to do all the things, good things that, that God has laid out before me. 
So whether we believe we're a saint or a sinner can have a big impact on how we live, uh, live the Christian life. The struggle then, as Paul describes it in Galatians, is between our flesh and our spirit. Walking after the flesh or walking by, by the spirit. So what do we do? Well, in order to really understand this nature of flesh and spirit, uh, I want to do a dive into the true nature of the believer. Um, what is it? How did God make us? And how did that transformation happen at salvation? All right, so for several weeks now, uh, if you've been listening uh, online or if you've been here, uh, our pastors and, and Mark have been teaching us about uh, Galatians, what Paul was teaching the Galatians. And today, uh, it's really going to get down to where the rubber meets the road, right? These lists, the deeds of the flesh, that's life. That's things that happen in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Those are things that come out uh, when, we, when we walk by the Spirit. Um, so it's going to get very real. Uh, so let's start today uh, by reading the, the passage. Um, if you would like, um, I, in order to, to read the same version, to read together, I want us to read out loud. So I put the, the verses up here. So if you would like, uh, I invite you to stand uh, as we read out loud the Word of God together. If you're not able to stand, that's fine. Uh, we understand that as well. All right, please read out loud with me. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit is against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. And let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who has promised to guide us into all truth. And we invite you this morning uh, to every person here and every person online, God, to reveal yourself to us, to reveal uh, who we are, who you made us to be. And just that we would receive from you this morning your revelation. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please have a seat. So our passage today starts with the word but. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And the passage before, Paul's talking about what it looks like to walk uh, by, by the flesh. And it includes things like devouring one another. And that's kind of the end result of, of the flesh life. And most of us don't go that far, but unchecked, self in the flesh life kind of takes over. And so Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. In reality, that's all we need from this passage this morning. Let's just walk by the Spirit. If we do that, the rest of the, that whole ugly list of, of deeds of the flesh, we don't need to worry about it because the answer to the deeds of the flesh is to walk by the Spirit. So I asked if you're a saint or a sinner, there's not a third alternative. And, and likewise here, Paul says, uh, you can walk by the, we can walk by the Spirit or we can live by the flesh, and the outcome is fruit of the Spirit or deeds of the flesh. Those are our options. Uh, we don't get a third alternative. There's not a, a middle path in there uh, that, that we can walk. Now, when I say that, um, maybe some of us even feel convicted because, oh, well, now you're telling me it's either this or this, and I know I'm not this, and yet I don't want to be this. Um, so, my goal isn't to convict you, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to do is demonstrate this dichotomy and where the Christian really should, is positioned uh, in there. But walking by the flesh and walking by the Spirit are mutually opposite. You, know, you can't do both uh, at the same time. And the other thing I want to point out is that the deeds of the flesh, those are results. The deeds of the flesh described there is an outcome of an inner condition. In the same way, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, those are results. That's an outcome from walking by the Spirit. And so when we, if we focus on the outcome without looking at the source, the, the, uh, the inner condition, right, we'll struggle with the outcome for a long time. All right, if I'm struggling with anger, and I say, to, you know, tomorrow I'm not going to get angry, and I double down, I try harder, but I don't look at the source of walking by the flesh that caused that anger, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a continual struggle with anger. And in the same way, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, if I want to uh, love my wife, if I want to love my kids, if I want to love my neighbor, my coworkers, man, tomorrow I'm, I'm gonna, I am going to really work hard to love and yet we're not looking at walking by the Spirit, we're going to short-circuit all those fruits of the Spirit. Now, we can try, we can produce some of those things uh, on our own, but real, lasting love and peace and joy come from, from the Holy Spirit. So that list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what good looks like. So as a believer, we look at that list, we say, if that's part of my life, if that's normal for my life, then oh, I'm, I'm do, I'm, what's happening is God is producing fruit in me as described here. In the same way, you look at the deeds of the flesh, boy, if that's part of my life, right, that's a barrier, that's a boundary, I've got a problem. Now, most of us haven't gone as far as the deeds of the flesh as listed there. They're like the extreme. But fleshly living... Uh, is uh, leads up to that. 
So I don't want to do a deep dive in every one of those deeds of the flesh because there's a long list, and the reality is uh, the, the result of living by the flesh is thousands of different things. Um, and Paul lists some here, but let's look at impurity. Um, impurity can be described as uncleansed living. What does that mean? Well, when, when we are in an unclean state, we really withdraw from God. And so we, uh, we don't like to be in the presence of God when we're unclean, and so we hide from God. And if you remember, Adam and Eve in the garden hid from God because they were pure, they were holy, and they sinned, and now they were impure. And so they, they hid from God. And so what we see is that impurity is a byproduct of being separated from God. If we look at idolatry, idolatry can be described as seeking anything other than God to get my needs met. Anything other than God to fulfill or complete myself. Now, God created man with specific needs, uh, the need to be loved and the need to be heard and understood, the need for security, uh, the need to, be, to belong. And uh, in those needs, uh, in the Garden of Eden, there was free exchange. God met the needs of, of Adam and Eve. But when sin happened, uh, man no longer looked to God to have his needs met, and man looked to, to each other and to himself. And so whenever we look to anything outside of God to have our needs met, that's idolatry. So if we're looking at uh, addictions or drugs or alcohol or uh, sex or even our anger, we're looking at any of those things trying to get our needs met, uh, that's a form of idolatry. And we can look at drunkenness. So drunkenness is dulling my senses so I can't feel the, the pain uh, of this, this life, you know, if we're struggling. And we start out with a drink, but pretty soon it becomes a, a, a habit and an addiction. And while we may not be uh, addicted to, to those things, um, we have some other addictions that have come onto the scene recently in the last 10 years, and it might be my phone. Uh, we sit down uh, on the couch, and boy, you pull, pop that phone out and spend an hour there, pretty easy. So it might be Facebook, it might be YouTube. And you hear all, you know, quite often people say, hey, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been addicted, I'm stepping away from it for a couple of months, and so we know that uh, that's a problem as well. So just a couple examples, and what those indicate, you know, if we go through the list, is that my pleasure is more important than pleasing God. My happiness is more important than what makes God uh, happy with me. My satisfaction is more important than what satisfies God. My needs are more important for me to meet them than to, than to submit to God and let God meet those needs. Um, and my wants are more important than what God wants for me. So we see that that flesh life, those deeds of the flesh, are really about self-taking control. And those deeds are the, the, the result of living apart from God. So now to better understand uh, our flesh and the spirit and how we overcome the flesh, how we walk by the spirit, uh, I want to better understand the nature of man. So we're going to 
go back and look at how God created man. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis um, to see how, man, uh, how God created man. Uh, and I'm going to use a model. Um, the model, so what's, what's, what's hard about the soul and the spirit and the flesh is they're not, they're immaterial. We can't hold on to them. We can't put them on the table and discuss them. I can't even, I can't see them. And so it's, it's tough to, to work with these things and to know how they, how they work. Um, but a model can make those things visible. Um, so we're going to use a model this morning. Um, all models are wrong. Uh, if, uh, if your wife has ever said, you know, I have a model husband, and you look up the definition of model, it might say something like a small imitation of the real thing, right? So a model is wrong because it's, it's not the real thing. It's just a representation of it. But some models are useful. And so this morning, this model is going to be useful for help to help us understand the nature of man uh, and flesh and spirit. Okay, so let's go back to the garden. Uh, and in Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. So we know that God created the body of man. Pretty obvious, we all have bodies. This body is temporary. Uh, it's been corrupted and is being corrupted, and all of us know that. Um, also, in Genesis 1-27, God says, God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now we know that God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship God in spirit and truth. So we know that man has a body, but man also has a spirit. Not rocket science, these are things we all know. Uh, we also know that um, Thessalonians says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body uh, so we call this model a, a, a three-part man. We know that it's so God made man a thinking person, gave him a brain. And so uh, a man is, has a mind. We know that God made man with free will. So man has a chooser. He's able to make decisions. And we saw Adam and Eve make that uh, critical decision in the garden. And God made man to feel. He made man with emotions. Right, so this is, the, uh, this is how God created man. Now, in that paradise, there was no sin initially. Adam and Eve walked with God. There was open fellowship. God met all the needs of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were complete. Um, and it says the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. What that means is there were no barriers. There was nothing to hide. Uh, there was no sin. And so that is... Uh, that was the creation, that's the paradise. Um, and God said, it is very good. But one other thing that happened, and one other thing God did, said, hey, there's these two trees. There's the tree of knowledge, and there's the tree of life. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you eat of that tree, you will die. And so this is the paradise. Only one rule, as far as we know, um, that God gave to Adam and Eve. But we know it didn't stay that way. It didn't stay that way in, in paradise, um, as a paradise. So you know what happened next. 
while they were in the garden, the, uh, the enemy came in and tempted Eve and said, you know what, um, really, God said don't eat from that tree, but you know what happens, if you eat from the tree, you will become wise like God. It's a tree of knowledge, um, and you'll become wise. In fact, you won't need God anymore. You can make your own decisions. Uh, you can think your own thoughts, make your own plans, uh, and, and you won't get, need God to, to meet those needs. In fact, God is using that tree to keep you kind of held down in place because he doesn't want you to go out and become like him. And so uh, man succumbed to that deception. Uh, they fell to the temptation. Uh, Adam and Eve ate from that tree. And when they did, sin entered the world. And uh, in that moment, um, God said, when you eat that from that tree, you will die. And so man died. So how did man die? Did his body die? Well, no, because we know uh, the next day, uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and, and God's walking in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? And so Adam and Eve are still there in their bodies, even though they had an awareness of their bodies, their nakedness that they didn't have before. So they had their bodies. Um, did their soul die? Did their mind cease to exist, their will and emotions? No, they had all those intact. In fact, we see that Adam responded to God by saying, well, I was hiding. Uh, I made a, you know, Adam made a decision to hide. They made a decision to sow fig leaves together and hide themselves. So they felt emotion. They felt afraid of God. And they made a, made a decision uh, to hide from God. And so what we know is that the spirit of man died. When God said that in the day you eat of it, you will surely die, that's what God meant. So man that had been a living being with a living spirit, that spirit died in man. And that, you know, where man had received everything they needed from God, that was short-circuited as well. Man no longer received what he needed from, from God. And so we have a man separated from God, living independently from God, and doing not a good job of it. It doesn't take too long before we see what happened to Adam and Eve's kids. Um, and then since that time, man has learned to learn to live independent from God. And what we call that is flesh. That's the definition of flesh. I'm living independent of God. I'm living on my own resources, my own strength. So this is where flesh entered the world, and it was at the time of the fall. And um, this is what Jeremiah talks about when it says the heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? So Jeremiah isn't talking about the believer's heart. He's talking about the heart of fallen man. And it is desperately sick because man will do just about anything to have those core needs met. And uh, the flesh is evidence of that. So... Uh, God did not leave man in this state either. Um, so God made a promise to restore. And I love this verse in Ezekiel. Uh, God had predicted or prophesied, promised that he would uh, restore man. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. A very similar passage in uh, Ezekiel 11 says, then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. And so God says, I know your heart is turned to stone. What he's saying is you no longer respond to the things of God, nor are you able to do so. God says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take that heart of stone out. When he says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, he's not talking about uh, the, the flesh pattern. He's talking about, I'm going to give you a warm heart that is receptive and sensitive to the things of God. So God had promised in Ezekiel that he was going to send, he's going to repair the situation. And so then we forward to, to the cross. Um, God did fix that situation, um, and he did it through the cross. Jesus Christ, his son, um, what happened at salvation? Well, some of the things we're very familiar with is that the blood of Christ uh, was offered for the forgiveness of our sins. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God said that sin has a penalty. The penalty is life. You must give a life. The Old Testament, you know, all the sacrifices were a picture of that. None of them were adequate to pay for the sins. But when Christ came, because Christ was uh, righteous and holy and had not sinned, when his blood was shed, that became uh, the basis for forgiveness of, of sins uh, for the believer. Also, when Christ died, Romans saw, Paul says in Romans, that we were in Christ, the believer was in Christ through baptism, and when Christ died and was buried, so were we. So how did we die in Christ? Well, that old nature, that old man that we were, Paul says, that Adam that we used to be, that's who died. When God created man, man was alive to God, but dead to sin. And when man sinned, he became dead to God, but alive to sin. And so the old nature that we are all born with was alive to sin. And so what Paul, uh, what, uh, what God did through Jesus Christ, through the death, is he put to death that old man. What that means is the believer is no longer alive to sin. That power of sin over the believer has been terminated. It's cut off. Uh, an unbeliever really has, has no choice. But a believer now has a choice to walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. And then there's uh, Christ's resurrection. Again, through baptism, we were in Christ when Christ was raised from the dead, when God raised Christ from the dead. He was given new life, raised anew. What does that mean for the believer? What that means for the believer is that the sins are gone, um, our spirit was made new. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, he wasn't, can't go into my mother's womb and be born again. It's not the body, it's not our soul, but our spirit was made new through the salvation uh, transaction. Um, and God then, that relationship with God was restored. The believer now is able to fully, openly, transparently commune with God and receive from God and let God meet their needs. 
But um, what so in, in 2 Corinthians just validates this and says, uh, yes, indeed, God did what he promised to do. If therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. However, so, so man has been restored in the relationship. Um, however, we have this one thing that remains, and that is this flesh. So when we are uh, saved through salvation, our mind isn't emptied and we're not reprogrammed. So when I was in college a uh, long time ago, uh, Peter Gould from Campus Crusade for Christ had shared the four laws with me. And I remember when I listened to it at that time, man, my, uh, my barriers went up, red flag, no, 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 no. I was, I was sitting with him, but I was not listening. Would not, my, my flesh said, no, I don't want to hear it. But the seed was planted. And several months later, I was laying in my bed at night and uh, one of those loft beds in the dorm, there were so many people in the dorm, we had uh, three people uh, crammed in there. Uh, but I was in my bed, and uh, I remember saying, God, I know I'm not right with you, and I don't like that. I want to be right with you. And if what Peter said was true in the four laws, I want that to be true in my life. And that's a pretty, uh, a pretty incomplete understanding of the gospel, that's what it was for me. And so I made that decision, and my bed fell out of the loft, the world started spinning in a different direction, right? No, none of that happened. That wasn't my experience. Um, in fact, I waited. I said, okay. I knew it was a significant decision, but I waited. And I didn't feel any different, right? I didn't think any different, although I knew I'd just made a big decision. Um, and so I thought, oh, okay. So uh, in that salvation experience, I carried all of my thinking, my fleshly living, because I'd been living without God for, for 18 years, I carried all that way of thinking into my Christian life with me. That's the flesh. And that's common for all of us. And, and we all have different experiences, but that flesh remained with me. So now... All right, now what do I do? I'm a believer, but I have these old thoughts uh, of living independent from God. And Paul says uh, there's a process we go by to renew our mind. There's a process, and it's called sanctification. Our bodies are not going to be sanctified until Christ returns, and we're, our bodies are glorified. We're, uh, people will be reunited with their bodies. Our spirit was sanctified and made new at the time of salvation. But our soul for our whole life is in the process of being renewed. And how do we do this? Well, Paul says in Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living and holy uh, sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What had happened in Galatians, uh, as Paul in the, the, the Galatia area, uh, Paul was teaching them, you had come to Christ in salvation by grace alone. But now that you're saved, you reverted back to that fleshly living 
and you tried to do things on your own. You made your own rules, your own laws, like, hey, Gentiles, you got to be circumcised. And Paul says that that's very, very wrong. And what they didn't do is what Paul says here, present your bodies. So in these two verses, the command is to present ourselves. Present ourselves to God, and the, he does the rest. So notice it says, do not be conformed to this world. We live in the enemy's kingdom, and every message from the enemy's kingdom, from the enemy, uh, and it comes in continuously throughout the day from almost every source, all those messages are designed by the enemy to conform our thinking to his kingdom. You don't need God. You can do it yourself. Um, the pleasures uh, are greater than the discipline. And Paul says, don't be conformed. And the way we don't be conformed is we, uh, be tr we are transformed. It doesn't say transform yourselves. It says be transformed. And so when we present ourselves to God, uh, we say, God, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I blew it here. I'm, I'm having this problem. God says, that's okay. Uh, here's the way you did think about it. Here's the way I want you to think about it. And so in that moment, we take those lies that we have believed for all of our fleshly living years, and God says, exchange them for truth and live this way. And so that process is called, renewing our mind is called sanctification. It's a lifelong journey for each one of us, and we're all at different stages, uh, stages in that journey. So that's the process of sanctification. Um, okay. So um, now what? So if, we, if all that is true and, and we see that and, and uh, we've gone through all that process, so what? How does it affect us today? Um, our spirit was born again. Our body wasn't. It will be. Uh, our mind is in the process uh, of being uh, born again, uh, say being renewed. Um, and Paul says there, that's how to do it. And this is what Paul was teaching the Galatians. Uh, you started out great. You started out by grace, by the Spirit. But you've abandoned that, and you've turned to yourselves. You've turned to your, to your flesh. And Paul is very strong against that. He says, you foolish Galatians. Pretty strong words. And so Paul says, uh, don't, uh, you can't do that. Um, that produces what we see, the deeds of the flesh. And so in the, in the church there in the areas of Galatia, a lot of bad things were happening because that's the result of living by the, by the flesh. All right, so I, I think we understand now what flesh is. And so if we go back to the very first verse, 16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are to live independent from God. There's only one cure for that, and that's living by the Spirit. So if we, um, uh, if we think about how do we overcome the flesh, okay, the answer is not in, in our mind. In other words, we can't learn enough to overcome a sinful behavior. 
a pattern. We can't learn enough to uh, replicate walking by the Spirit. And the answer isn't in my, my will. I can't force myself uh, to make the, the right decision when internally my desires want to do something else. So the answer, you know, did, how many people have tried harder? Man, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. And the problem is after a while we get worn out. Uh, we get tired. And the answer is in the body. Uh, so this is interesting to think about that often we try to change internal conditions through external means. So what does this look like? Well, if you have a, a baby uh, learning to crawl, we put that baby in a crib and we put the sides up on the crib. We do that because we don't want the baby to, <clears throat> to escape and crawl around the house at night and, and become injured. In the same way, if you have a toddler, maybe you put a fence between your yard and the road to keep the toddler out of harm's way from walking in, into the road. But eventually, uh, that toddler is going to grow big enough to climb the fence or find a way around. And so while that fence is up, as a parent, we're teaching our kids, stop. We're teaching our kids to obey. So the fence is there as a tutor to help train the kids while, the ki or while our kids learn to obey. And then when the fence is no longer there and they're able to, to get bigger, uh, the kids are, uh, are already aware of the dangers of being in the road and, that, and they can obey us. Um, there's another example. Let me go to an adult example. And it's kind of an extreme example, but I think it's good. Um, you know, pornography is a pandemic in our world, not just our culture. Um, it's terribly addictive, and there's a lot of people that struggle with it. And one of the first approaches uh, what we do is we'll put filters on our PC, and we'll put blocks on our phone, we'll put special apps, all those things to prevent access. And we should do that. Uh, if you have kids in the home, especially if you have young men in the home, you should really investigate having those types of filters there. It's not that your kids will seek it out, it will find them in, our, in, our, uh, in the enemy's kingdom. So those filters help, but eventually our kids leave home and they're going to go to a place where maybe they don't have filters. And so what we should be doing is, even while we have those filters on, we should be training our kids to walk by the Spirit to let God meet their needs so that they aren't tempted by those external things. Um, so the body isn't the answer. The mind isn't the answer, meaning I can't, uh, I can't just force myself to produce the, these fruits and to avoid the deeds of the flesh. So the answer is the Spirit. And God, uh, Paul says, uh, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not, uh, you will not uh, do the deeds of the flesh. Uh, so what does this look like on a daily basis? Uh, on a good day, uh, I try to do this every day. I'm not perfect at it. On a good day, before I even get out of bed, I think, God, um, you're my heavenly father. I'm your child. And I like what Ken said. Uh, I'm yours today. Uh, I acknowledge, I, I accept your Holy Spirit in me to guide me today to walk in your will. And I do that before I get out of bed because as soon as I get out of bed, I might blow it. Um, over the last couple of years, I've even been thinking of, of uh, God as a heavenly father. I'm thinking about sitting in his lap. 
And when you're sitting, when you picture yourself sitting in, in the lap of God, it's pretty hard to, to think about doing bad things and wrong things. And so when I place myself there, um, you know, in this transformation, uh, I present myself to God and there I am. God, I'm yours today. What will you have me do? So all the energy I could spend trying to avoid the deeds of the flesh or trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you know, I'm going to love today, or I'm, I'm going I'm to be joyful today, and take that energy and, and put it into presenting ourselves to God and coming to God. In Romans 7, Paul talked about what it's like to focus on the deeds of the flesh. He said, uh, before the law said, don't covet, he said, I, I didn't think about coveting. It wasn't a problem. But when the law said, thou shalt not covet, it produced coveting in me of all kinds. Um, places I never thought about. And so that's what flesh is like. The more we focus on the flesh, the more we get involved and the more it consumes us. And again, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. So it's not a matter of, you know, I have to avoid, I have to not do the deeds of the flesh. If I'm walking by the Spirit, those aren't even going to be an issue. And so we'll see in our life uh, uh, continue uh, alignment with the fruit of the Spirit. And the other example Jesus uses is, is a vine or an apple tree. Um, we don't produce apples by going out there and looking at the buds or the blossoms and saying, oh, man, come on, go apple, go apple, go apple. Uh, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna wish really hard. I'm gonna pray hard for this apple to grow. And it's not gonna have any effect. Uh, apples are produced when we cultivate the tree. We cultivate the branches. We take care of that. And so the analogy is living by the Spirit will produce the fruit that uh, Paul lists here. So this is a lifelong pursuit. Um, let's think back to um, our, our initial diagnostic questions. Um, you know, if you're standing in line at Meyer and the Spirit says, uh, hey, you should talk to this, this person in line beside you. And we're like, yeah, I, no, it's too uncomfortable. Um, you know, when we approach that from a knowledge perspective, remember the, now, the tree of knowledge versus the tree of life. Um, one of the common uh, barriers to people sharing their testimony is fear. Fear I can't control the conversation. They're going to ask me something I don't know. And first of all, we have to get, it's okay to not know. Um, but with the Holy Spirit inside of us, guess what? That Holy Spirit knows exactly what that person needs to hear, what your neighbor needs to hear. Your, your Holy Spirit's working in your neighbor's life. And he asks us to partner with him to minister to them. And so when we live by the Spirit, uh, what I want you to do is to feel free to go into those situations because you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to determine what you're going to say. Let the Holy Spirit uh, give you those words uh, of what to say. It's that great opportunity to give your one-minute testimony. Sometimes you only have 30 seconds or a minute. And if one minute you can explain, you know, who you are and what motivates you, that can open the door for further discussions. So, are you a saint? 
Are you a saint because what you do or don't do? Or are you a saint because through the resurrection, God made you a saint? Are you a sinner? Not convinced yet, are you? This is a, a change of thinking for most of us, but I want you to consider that the Holy Spirit, God created a new spirit inside the believer. And so it's okay for you to, to say, I'm a saint. You're a saint by definition. And so you don't have to live a perfect life to be a saint. Well, why is this important to, to consider? Well, because um, think of a jar. We did this in Sunday school last week or a couple weeks ago. Think of a jar that has a light in it. That light is the Holy Spirit. You are the jar. And so that light is already shining. It's just trying to get out. But what happens is, think of our flesh patterns, our anger and our selfishness and our jealousy as black post-its on this jar. It prevents the light from getting out. And so when we walk by the Spirit and we're no longer angry, that post-it comes off, the light comes out. And so you don't, we don't have to, as believers, we don't have to conjure up this light. We don't have to make ourselves better. Um, we can just let the Spirit do its thing when we do our thing. Uh, I was probably 35 years a Christian before I understand that I wasn't a sinner. It was okay that I still sinned. And before then, I tell you, I, you know, I tried and uh, tried to do the right things, tried to avoid doing the bad things, try, 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 fail, fail, fail. And what happened was, because I believed I should be perfect, it prevented me, and it was a barrier to me, enjoying free fellowship with God. Because I felt, I believed, I disappointed God. My whole life was that way until really a few years ago. And so at that moment, I realized, oh, when God looks at me, he sees the saint. And I'll never get my life cleaned up to the point where I can present it to God perfectly. And so you, I might as well come to God anyway. And God said, it's okay. I know you've got baggage. I know where you're struggling. I want to help you with it. Don't think you can do it on your own. Doing it on our own is that flesh living. I'm going to get myself cleaned up and make myself right and then present myself to God. And for me, it never happened. It never happened until I said, hey, um, it's okay. Uh, God made me a saint. I don't, have to, I don't have to conjure up those things. He's put in me good things to do, uh, and I just need to be able to, to let the Holy Spirit do those things through me. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. So go, have that conversation with your neighbor, invite him over. Have that conversation with your coworker. Now the Great Commission, we think about going to the, you know, all the world, but the world starts with our neighbors. It starts with our coworkers. It starts with the people that we do business with. And so let's start there, um, and let's let our light shine. The believer, as believers, you are the light of the world 
because God made you that way. Not because you're perfect, not because you've done this or haven't done that, but because God made you that way. The Holy Spirit resides in the believer, provides the light. Uh, we don't have to create that light. We just need to let, let the light shine. And this is what uh, Paul says. Uh, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Just walk by the Spirit, focus on that, uh, present ourselves to God uh, on a daily basis and allow God to transform our thinking, sanctify our minds from the fleshly living that we are, we're used to to the sanctified living. Amen? Are you a saint? Yes. Are you a saint? Yes. You are saints of God. Not because of what you do, because God says you're a saint. No. Who said that? That was my own grandkid. I got work to do. So let, let's pray. Father, um, sometimes it's so hard to change our thinking, and it's really hard to believe that you've put your perfect Holy Spirit inside of us. And so we have in us what we need to live the Christian life. If we can just uh, transform our thinking, allow you to transform our thinking to align with it. And that takes time. That's a process. Sometimes it's a painful process. It's a difficult process. But that's where the work of living the Christian life uh, is, to obey the, the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask that you would this week renew our discipline to present ourselves to you and allow you to transform our thinking. And then when that happens and we see you working, truly, Father, it is you who are at work within us. And we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's close with Jude. Familiar passage, 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How does that happen? Well, we walk by the Spirit who is to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Saint, you are blameless before God. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't look at you and say, Oh, I wish you'd have done better. God doesn't look at you and say, You sinner. God looks at you just like the prodigal father did and said, Oh, I'm just so glad you came. I love you. Thank you for coming. So let's go this week. Uh, sit in the lap of God. Enjoy our Heavenly Father because He enjoys us immensely. All right? Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.